Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, yeah, well, like this right here. Is that how it goes? Okay. Well, how many people here on a 1 to 10 scale are six or more on the fatigue scale? You're doing a lot better in first service. We have, uh, uh, on Christmas Day, every evening we have our small group and our families and everyone get together and have a mega party, and uh, it's wonderful, except on those mornings we have church the next morning, because we're up till, last night, up till 1.30, quarter to 2, uh, doing the Michael Jackson video, the we, you know, dun, 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 and you got like, like, you know, the imitations, uh, I'm getting too old for this. Uh, 1.30 in the morning. So anyways, uh, this morning's message is brought to you by Starbucks Double Shot Coffee. I'm going at number three right now, so this ought to be interesting. My name is uh, Greg Boyd. I'm the teaching pastor here. Um, and so if you're visiting would like to find out more about this church, what we believe, and things like that, stop at the hub out in the gathering area. Tell them you're visiting. We've got a packet of information we'd love to give you. And so if you want to get uh, that little break, then uh, give us your address. Uh, one other announcement, and that is that last week I reported on this, we've been doing this uh, fundraiser for Haiti, a Water for Haiti campaign, uh, the last five weeks or so. Uh, we, we ended it last week, but I reported that we had made double uh, what we were looking for. We're looking for 21000 We actually, last week had brought in 42000 but as of this week, we're up to $55,000. I know it. Yes. $55,000. I... I I want to tell you, I'm just so, so happy to be part of a congregation where we're really growing in, in our, our willingness and capacity and desire to give and to sacrifice for others. That's, that's beautiful. And in fact, I'd say this whole fall has been uh, just outstanding, uh, the way folks have stepped up to the plate and, um, and sacrificed and, and just wanted to, to demonstrate the love of God in some very concrete ways. What really is particularly jazzing about this last uh, fun, fun drive was that uh, the Podrishners uh, were a major part of this. So hats off to the Podrishners. We had folks, it, it, it was beautiful. Had folks from a dozen or so different states and a dozen or so different uh, countries, Sweden, Australia, all over the world, uh, giving as a part of this. And uh, it's really cool to see, you know, kind of there's this like virtual community that's, that's being created with our Podrishners. And so we also really appreciate uh, their, their participation in this. Uh, it's, it's, it's been great. We've always said, and I, I, I live by this, I'll die by this, that the, the criteria for success is never quantity. Jesus never seemed to give a rip about how many people were hanging around, but it's about quality. Are we growing? Are we deepening in our capacity to reflect the love of God? Uh, are we making an impact? That makes a difference. And, and individually and in our small groups and as a whole, uh, this, this year, especially the last couple of months, I think has been just really good in that. We, I, I see growth there, which to me is everything. That, that's what makes it worthwhile. If we're not making a difference in the world and we're not growing uh, in that, well, then let's just close up shop and be done with it. There's enough carnivals out there. You know, but, but if we want to really be about the kingdom, well, then it's about how do we concrete bleed for others, imitating Jesus Christ. And um, certainly giving people water who need drinkable water is a very concrete way of demonstrating God's love, and God uses that to build the kingdom. It's been a good year. It's been a good year, and I'm just praying that next year will be even better. I'm going to keep on growing. Stay hungry. Keep on pursuing God. Uh, I think 2011 is going to be a, a, a fantastic year. We've been doing this series here at the end of the year on, on a, kind of a Christmas series called A Subversive Christmas, Celebrating a Subversive King. And uh, it's been very cool to see. Uh, the coin has, as it often does, it drops in the slots for people. And all of a sudden, they sort of get 
the difference between sort of just being a church attender on the one hand and being a disciple of Jesus on the other. There is a difference there. And uh, this series has been used to impact some people in some ways where the coin just sort of drops. One person shared with me uh, two weeks ago that this was really the first time they ever really got on board with something like this. And they really decided to, you know, take some of the money they were going to spend on presents and, and give to these folks in Haiti uh, who are uh, suffering from cholera and don't have drinkable water. Um, and after she gave one time, she felt led to then the next week give some more. And one of the results of it, she goes, it was amazing that, that I feel like I'm the, the benefactor here because something has been adjusted in me. This is what happens when we start walking in obedience. Because something's been adjusted in me. I, I have more joy and peace than I used to have. And she goes, I, I, I've like reframed things differently. Uh, she prays for the folks in Haiti. And, uh, and so they're on her mind. And she says, it happened that uh, the other day I was in a real bad mood and kind of murmuring under my breath as I was in my refrigerator and I was angry that I, it was too crowded. I couldn't find what I was looking for. And all of a sudden it occurred to me, no one in Haiti is struggling with that problem. What a reframe. Isn't that a marvelous reframe? How many of our problems are, are caused by abundance and by privilege? Um, and and, and, and I mean, I've done that, right? You're, where, where's the stupid ketchup? Who, who, you know, it's supposed to be right there. And, and it's like, there's too much food in here. So we should clean this out. What a marvelous problem to have, really. Or we maybe are complaining that our house is, 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 is too messy. It's how hard to take care of our house. You got a house? <laughs> the gas prices are going up. You got a car? Uh, my clothes, I don't have anything to wear. <laughs> because all 40 outfits are, are uh, out of style. Aw. You know, cry a river. You know, it, it reframes everything. Uh, you know, you just, um, I, I eat too much. Well, what a problem. You know, it's, it's it, when we are, when we're living where we're supposed to be living, which is with an eye towards the poor. And by the way, there are plenty of folks in this congregation are listening to podcasts who are in need of that food in the refrigerator or, or uh, in need of the clothes uh, or transportation. But there's many others of us who, the main things that make us miserable come out of our privilege. And our, what happens is the abundance makes us have a very narrow view of life. We get myopic. And we get miserable in our myopia. And by living where we're supposed to live, which is on the edge, which is, is with, in service, on our knees, in serving the poor, and with an eye towards the hurting, what it does is it, it draws us, by God's grace, out of our myopia. And, and, and gives a different perspective on things and frees us from the entanglement of stuff that we might otherwise be entangled with. So this dear lady was getting this. It's like, man, there's so much joy because I'm realizing how stupid most of my problems are. And see, this is one of the ways that we get blessed when we are living and walking in obedience. Um, and so I pray we just continue to do that in this upcoming year, growing in Christ-likeness. I want to entitle this message, Subverting the Subversion. And it's the last of the series on the subversive kingdom that we're doing. Subvert, subverting the subversion. You'll see what I mean here in a second, but first, pray with me. For every person in, who's in this auditorium, every person listening through the podcast, we pray, Lord, that you'd open our ears, our eyes, our hearts, our lives to receive your word. Jar us, shake us, convict us, move us, transform us, or encourage us if that's what's needed. But Lord, wake us up to the schemes of the enemy that we're not duped and that we keep on growing in the beauty of your radical kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen, Amen. 
One of the things we've seen in this series as we've been going through it is that Jesus came into this world not to be nice and cute and cuddly and a hallmark moment. He came as an act of war. He came in principle to end this conflict that had been going on between God and holy angels on the one hand and the principalities and powers and Satan on the other hand. And he came to, in principle, bring that to an end. We're yet looking for the manifestation of that victory, but it was in principle fought and won with the coming uh, and the, the life and the ministry, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He came as an act of war. But Satan doesn't take this lying down. The principalities and powers don't take this lying down. They fight back. And there's really two strategies that the enemy uses. Now, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 2, don't be ignorant of Satan's schemes. There's a schemer out there, a cosmic schemer, who's, who's got an agenda against us. We're to be aware of that agenda. He fights against us in two ways, primarily in two ways. The first way we saw last week, and that is that he tries to snuff the kingdom out. We saw in Revelations 12 and in Matthew chapter 2 that when Jesus comes into this world, uh, Satan uses Herod, this wicked king who's a pawn in his hands, to try to kill Jesus uh, before he can ever get this kingdom movement off the ground. So his first strategy is to snuff the kingdom out. The second strategy is very different. If the first one doesn't work, he goes to the second. The second one is, is really if you can't beat him, join him. Or at least look like you're joining him. What that amounts to is a strategy to normalize the kingdom or to subvert the subversive quality of the kingdom, to take its edge out. We find Satan using this strategy towards Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. First strategy he used when Jesus was very, just came into this world. Second strategy he uses when Jesus just begins his, his ministry. Uh, the devil's tempting him, and it says, The devil led him up to a high place and showed Jesus in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. The word worship there uh, basically has the connotation of coming under. It means submit to. Um, And so what Satan is saying here is this. I, because of the human fall, I've been given all this authority over all the governments, all the kingdoms of this world. I can give them to whoever I want. I'll give them to you, Jesus. I know you want them. You got it in for these, you just happen to love these pathetic beings. I don't know why, but you want them, you can have them. I'll give you all the kingdoms, all the glory, all the power. It's all yours, but you'll have to do it my way. That's the deal. You just have to submit to my authority, which means you've got to use my kind of power, and, and when things go wrong, you've got to use violence to, to, to solve it. But if you're willing to agree to those terms, you can have them all. I don't want them. What this was, what in essence, was a temptation for Jesus to be normal. It was a temptation for him to be kind of like a normal king, and, kind of, and to have kind of like a normal kingdom, and to run it kind of the normal way. Now, it would have been the best of the kingdoms of this world and what would have been the most just of the kingdoms of the world think of all the good that jesus could have done he would have been the the, the earthly caesar over all it, it would have been the best of all the kingdoms of the world but it would have been a kingdom of the world it would have been a normal kingdom and so here satan is tempting jesus to be normal if you can't snuff out the kingdom well then subvert its subversion normalize it Make it just kind of one of the varieties of what's already out there. This has been Satan's one-two punch throughout history. You try to snuff it out. If you can't snuff it out, you normalize it. We see in the early church, for the first three centuries, Christians were martyred. 
To be a Christian meant that you had to be willing to give up your life. They were fed to lions. They were set on fire. They bore witness to Christ by the way that they suffered. Satan tried to snuff this thing out. And some locales in the Roman Empire almost succeeded. But overall, he found, he, he found and the world found, that the more you tried to snuff it out, the faster it grew. The second century theologian Tertullian says that the, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It just kept on growing and growing and growing. And so, with that strategy failing, Satan hit upon a different strategy, beginning around the 4th century. There's an emperor named Constantine. He was having a battle with a rival emperor, and they were both claiming to be uh, emperor of Rome. So he's going to go to battle against this emperor, and uh, the story has it that he had a vision just prior to the battle. This vision he thought was of God, and unfortunately a lot of the early church fathers agreed. The vision told him that if he'll go into battle and fight under the banner of Jesus Christ this pagan, this God that he had heard about, if you'll fight under the banner of Jesus Christ, he will give you the victory. First time that Jesus was ever associated with military violence ever. But Constantine listened to the vision, went into battle, and actually won the battle. And so he, quote-unquote, converted to Christianity. Scholars debate how authentic it was. But it might be significant that, to note that even after his, quote-unquote, conversion, he still killed everybody who he suspected of, of, of betraying him, just like Herod had done, even had some of his own relatives killed. So if he had converted, he remained a rather immature Christian. You know, those immature Christians, they're all going killing people they're suspicious of. But uh, how, we, we don't know. I'm not going to judge whether his conversion had any authenticity to it or not. But what was clear is that he, he didn't think like a kingdom person. Um, he started to throw money at the church and power at the church, built these big temples. You know, if the pagans have their big temples, we've got to have big cathedrals for the God Jesus and, uh, and things of that sort. And, and early church fathers, on the whole, applauded this. Whereas Jesus said no to the temptation, Constantine said yes. It was the same temptation. Be normal. Just be, 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 you know, be a version of what's already out there. It was the same temptation. Jesus said no and saw it as a temptation of the devil. Constantine said yes, and a lot of the early church fathers said yes. And so St. Augustine and Eusebius were saying, yeah, we won. I submit to you that on that day, they actually lost. It was a dark day for the kingdom of God. So Christianity was legalized in 313. You weren't persecuted for it anymore. And by the 380s, it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. It was illegal not to be a Christian, except for the Jews who always had a special uh, class. But everyone else, by virtue of being born in the Roman Empire, you were supposed to be Christian. They began to call it the Holy Roman Empire. They thought this was the birth of the church militant and triumphant. The church that's now going to conquer the world for Jesus Christ. And see, while the early theologians thought that this was a day of victory, it actually was a day of defeat. Because at this point, at this point, the kingdom of God became something normal. Being Christian was just normal. It's just what you do. Yeah, it's true that masses of people now profess faith in Jesus that didn't before. They estimate that, that around 310, under 10% of the Roman Empire was Christian. But by the turn of the, the 4th century or the 5th century, uh, uh, well, everyone except for the Jews were officially Christians. And you think, oh, well, wonderful. Masses and masses and masses and masses of people have come to Christ. Or at least professing faith in Christ. But as I said earlier, where do you find Jesus ever concerned with the quantity of people? He loves everybody for sure, but he's not, quantity is not a good in and of itself. It's not a sign that anything kingdom is happening. 
what you're interested in is quality. So what you had was a lot of people who now are going along with this program, but the reality of the kingdom was gone. The subversion of the, the, the subversive aspect of the kingdom had been subverted. It now became normal. Being Christian became normal. You're Christian by virtue of the fact that you're born into the right household. You're Christian by virtue of the fact that, that, that you follow the right emperor or something of the sort. And this, this version of the kingdom of God, what they call the kingdom of God, it looked exactly like the kingdom of Constantine or the kingdom of Herod or the kingdom of Caesar Augustus. Augustus it just had a Christian label on it. The uniqueness, the beauty, the radical edge of the kingdom had been lost. And it began to act just like all the other kingdoms of the world do, or Christians. No sooner did they become the official religion that they began to persecute the non-Christians. It's crazy. For the first three centuries, you bore witness to Christ by being persecuted. Then all of a sudden, you get the power. So now you're going to bear witness to Christ by persecuting. I mean, it got so crazy that uh, one king, to evangelize this barbaric tribe up in the north, he sent out troops. This is how you do evangelism when you're thinking like the empires of the world. You send out troops. and You put a sword to the neck of the barbarians and you say, convert or die. And then you praise God because they all convert. What a move of God. <laughs> uh, see, but that, that's just how, that's how the thinking of the world goes. Satan, if you can't snuff it out, well, then you normalize it. You give them what they want, but you do it on your terms. You normalize the kingdom out of existence. And this has been Satan's one-two punch throughout history, and it's still his one-two punch, and we are not to be ignorant of Satan's schemes. There's some parts of the world where he's still trying to snuff out the kingdom. You go to North Korea or, or Iran or Somalia, Yemen, Laos, and other countries like that, and you'll find uh, you, you pay a steep price if you're a Christian. You get thrown into prison or you get executed. Uh, there's millions who are in that position. So wherever he can, he still tries to snuff this thing out. But where he can't do that, he hits on the second strategy. You normalize it to death. And in the West, including in America, this has been the strategy the enemy has been employing for a long, long time. You subvert the subversion. It's subtle and it works. It's very effective, sadly. Go to any of the countries that were official Christian countries, where Christians once ruled, where it was the official religion of the land, and you will find a country where the church almost uh, is non-existent. Go to England, Scotland, Norway, Switzerland, Finland, France, all once ruled by Christians, Christian countries. Uh, the church attendance there is, on the, uh, for the most part, less than 5%, and even most of that is dead. Kingdom's been snuffed out. Uh, but not by martyrdom. It hasn't been snuffed out by people being put to death. It's been snuffed out over centuries by boredom. It's been snuffed out by becoming routine. It's been snuffed out by normality. It's been snuffed out just by, by, by just blending in with everything else. It just sort of disappears. It's a, a slow death of normalization. A slow death of normalization. And America is not that far down the road, as far down as these other places, though we are heading in that direction. But then again, we've only been at this for a couple hundred years. And I think our founding fathers had a lot of wisdom when they put a strong separation between church and state uh, for the protection of, of the church. So we've got some things, you know, and they, they refuse to ever christen this as a Christian country, and that is in, that, that's to the advantage of the church. But we're still heading in that direction. The death of normalization. It's just, of course you're a Christian. It's just normal. It's just... You know, kind of, it's nothing that big of a deal, really. It's just something you profess. It's just sort of a belief. It doesn't really have any major impact on your life. 
the normalization of Christianity. It's why, folks, I honestly believe that those folks who continue to fight to try to keep Christianity the normal of our culture, the sort of civil Christianity, people who really put a lot in, in trying to keep un, you know, uh, uh, under God in, in our Pledge of Allegiance and things like that, I think you're barking up the wrong tree. We're not doing the church any favors by making Christianity more normal, keeping it part of the culture. That's the problem. <laughs> the problem is that it's just too, too, there's too much of a civil religion, this veneer, this normalization. It might be the case that the best thing that could happen to the church is for persecution to break out. Because then it might begin to mean something to really follow Jesus. There'd be a price to pay. You go to the countries where, where the strategies still snuff out the Christians, and you don't find a lot of pew sitters there. You know, you go to North Korea and you find the underground church. There's not a lot of people who are just kind of going along for the, for the fun of it. You know, because it's the thing to do. There's a lot of advantages to being a Christian. No, no, it, it, it forces you to actually begin to live like, look like, uh, and even suffer like, like Jesus Christ. Death by normalization. Death by normalization. We've got to lock it in here at the end of this year as we're going this new year, that there is nothing normal about the kingdom of God. There's never supposed to be anything normal about the kingdom of God. It's an upside down, weird, odd, very odd, peculiar looking kingdom because he's a very odd God. Let me review a little bit for those of you who weren't here on, on the New Year's Eve service. Think about this. At the center of the gospel, at the center of the kingdom is the proclamation that God became a human being. Think about this. How normal is this? God spoke into existence, just spoke into existence, this, this universe that's 150 billion light years across. There's 100 billion galaxies at least in uh, this universe. And they're separated from each other by 3 million light years. It's incredible. Um, he, he spoke into existence the 10 billion trillion stars. He holds all that into existence. This God became a human being. Think about it. Look at it on the screen here. He zooms in. He cares enough about these little rebel people of this little tiny planet and this little tiny solar system and this little insignificant galaxy, just one of a hundred billion, really. And he becomes a fetus. He becomes us. He takes on on human flesh. Now, I have every reason in the world to believe that that's true. But it's crazy. That's not normal. That's not what normal gods do. No, normal gods are more like Zeus and Thor. You know, they got thunderbolts and, and they slay people. This isn't normal for a god. This is a very odd god. A god who's that big to become this small. That's weird. You, you can call it weird, call it crazy, call it absurd, but don't call it normal. It's not normal. There's nothing normal about it. And then, you know, he's born, he's not just coming into the world, it's odd enough, but he's, he's born to this unwed couple, this Jewish teenage girl, born in a barn, that's odd. And then he spends his life hanging out with the poor people and hanging out with the oppressed and siding with the lepers and, and, and breaking the religious taboos and feeding the hungry. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't come in like a king's supposed to come in, he's always hanging out with the poor folks. And then, instead of conquering the Romans, he gets himself conquered. He allows himself to be tortured, he dies a torturous death on the cross, taking on all the sin of the world. How normal is that? That's, that's crazy love. That's insane love. That's abnormal love. It's anything but normal. It's anything but normal. And that's at the center of the gospel. And now, listen to this. Our job is to imitate that. Our job is to imitate that. We're to be like Jesus. To live a life that replicates that in every way we can. So if he was weird, that means we're called to be weird. If he's abnormal, that means we're called to be abnormal. Huh? Do the math. Do the math. We are called to swim. We're called to look foolish. We're, we're, call, we're called to have an abnormal love, to have an abnormal concern for people that we, you wouldn't normally be concerned with. We're, we're, we're called to embrace an abnormal set of values. 
to have a foolish looking way of life. We're called to have an abnormal willingness to share and live with abnormal generosity. We're called to, to be abnormally free of judgment and to be abnormally humble, never putting ourselves over others or thinking that we're better than anybody. We're called to have this unusual, abnormal peace about things, even when the world's falling apart, because we know who's really in control. And we're called to have this unusual, abnormal optimism about things, even when it looks like everything is, is going in the wrong direction, because we know, we know where our trust is. And see, it's this loving weirdness, this, this beautiful oddness, this, this, this incredible uh, uh, strangeness, That is what subverts the kingdoms of the world. That's what subverts the culture. It's the beauty of that unusual-looking kingdom that wins people into the kingdom and spreads the kingdom, this mustard seed kingdom that's growing in the world. Everything hangs upon the uniqueness, the difference, the oddness, the strangeness, the beauty, the subversive quality of the kingdom, which is why that is what the devil goes after. If you can't snuff it out, you subvert the subversion. You can't beat them, make it look like you're joining them, giving them what you want, giving them what you want, but do it on your terms. Just let it blend in with everything else. It's not a big deal. You know, there's no price to pay. Just let it blend in. And then all the beauty and uniqueness, distinctness, gets sucked right out of the thing. And now what you have is simply a version of what you have everywhere else, but with a Christian label. I hate Christian labels. It was never meant to function as a label of anything. Christian t-shirts, Christian bicycles, Christian stores. You know what? No. You can have stores that sell Christian stuff, but that doesn't make the store Christian. Oh, that's a different sermon. <laughs> Don't press that button. We'll be here a long time. You guys, it, 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 we're not to be ignorant of Satan's schemes. Uh, this is a subtle and very effective scheme that he's been using in Western culture for centuries. We need to wake up to it. It's so sinister. Someone last summer used a, I forget who it was, but used this analogy that I thought was so perfect. Listen to this. Um, really what, they, what the devil does is something like give us an immunization shot. You know, if you go to get immunized, uh, you, you get your inoculation shot to the flu. What they do is they give you just enough of the flu. They actually give you the flu. And they give you just enough to trick your body into thinking that you've got it. Your body's just getting all pumped up to fight this thing, and now you've got this immunization. It's brilliant. Tricks your body into think that you've already got it. It inoculates you to the real thing. Gives you just enough of the, the real thing to inoculate you from getting the real thing. That is exactly what the devil does. You get just enough Jesus, just a little bit, the word at least. You get, you get just enough of the gospel, just enough of the kingdom. Kind of a veneer, some, some little token things here and there in the culture. And you give just enough so folks think they've actually got it. But what it does then is it inoculates them from the real thing. Which really, though it has maybe some of the same words, looks completely different. Inoculated people think that, that, that they're part of the kingdom and the Christian and whatever because, well, they said that magical sinner's prayer. Uh, they, 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 they know they've already got it. They've already heard that, already been there, already done that, got that one, checked off the list because I filled out the form. Or I go to church, you know, now and then. Or, or I'm nice to my neighbors. So of course, yeah, of course I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm American, aren't I? Or of course I'm Christian. I vote, you know, in, in a certain way. And they have a little checklist. And if you do the little checklist, well, then, then you've got it, right? But all that does is it gives you this, 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 this inoculation to the real thing. So that you think, oh, of course, I already got that, already done that. It's sinister. And so just like in the Roman Empire, they were called the Holy Roman Empire. It was an official Christian nation. You have multitudes that 
profess it or answer a pollster's question by, yes, this is the religion I belong to. And multitudes do that. But if you look at it, there's, there's the reality of the beauty, the reality of the, of the subversive kingdom. Uh, the reality of a Jesus-looking life is pretty much absent. And, all, absent, and all, the, all the polls show that. There is, I believe, only one antidote to this demonic inoculation that is so widespread. It's the main strategy against people in Western culture. There's only one antidote that I know of. And that is given to us by Jesus when he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, now notice this. To seek first the kingdom, that doesn't mean that you did it on Tuesday and forgot about it on Wednesday. Yeah, I, I, I did that. I, I did seek first uh, a couple of years ago, actually. I, I saw it first. No, see, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a present tense thing. That means it, now is always the time to be seeking first the kingdom of God. And, and here's why this is the antidote to the, the devil's immunization. Because it means to, to live with an attitude where you're seeking first the kingdom means you live with an attitude where you're hungry for more. It means that however much of the kingdom I think I have, I, I, I have the humility to say I ain't got it yet. I'm still seeking it. In fact, that's my first, my, my, my first objective. You can never be lulled into the sleep of normalization if you are never saying, I got it, I checked it off. No, the antidote is to stay hungry, to make as our first priority to get closer to God. However close you are to God, know that you can still get closer. However much you know, there's, there's an infinite much more to know. However, however much progress you've made in the kingdom, you've still got a lot of progress to, to make. It's a way of staying hungry. It's a way of always pursuing. It's a way of never coasting. It's the antidote to immunization. Always asking God for new levels of abnormality in our life. Always saying, God, make, make me weird like Jesus. However different I may be from the culture, it means, I, no, I, 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 I can manifest more of his distinct beauty. Manifest more of that subversive quality. It means, folks, that while some normal things that we do are wonderful and beautiful, getting together with family and friends, those, there, there's, there are good normals out there. But to seek first the kingdom means this. We should always be suspicious when our normal conforms to the normal of the culture. At least to be suspicious. It's worth looking into. But you know what? I, I, I can't look like everybody else here. Now maybe that's a normal thing, an okay thing. But it may be the fact, it may be the case that you've conformed. And if you're open to it, the Lord will continue his work of abnormalizing you. <laughs> I just invented the word. Abnormalizing you. Yes. I want to declare 2011... The year of craziness. <laughs> let's, let's declare war on normal. Right, what do you say? Let's, let's declare war on normal. The year of abnormality. And to have it our prayer to say, God, be growing us in, 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 in the beautiful abnormal. Be growing us in our, in our ability to, to wake up to the ways that we've been conformed to the culture. And let me, let me end, end by saying this, that... It's important as we're praying this prayer, if this is going to be our stance, to seek first the kingdom of God, that, that you know, before you run a marathon, you've got to run a foot. And sometimes if, if you, when, you, when the coin drops in the slot and you see that there's a marathon ahead of you, you can give up because it's like, you know, there's too much to change. No, start with, with one step and then start with another step. So ask God ways in which you can be moving out of the stream of the culture and more into the abnormal of the kingdom of God. Take baby steps. Uh, it may be the case that you've always been, you know, th- that throughout 2010 and before, you- you've been a person who's always kind of hung tight to the wall because you're insecure about finances or something like that. And you're realizing then doing that, you're just doing what, what everyone does. 
But because you've been that way doesn't mean you have to stay that way, so let's start with baby steps. Maybe, maybe God would, would lead you to say, uh, you know, I, I'm going to set aside $5 a week that I'm going to give to a ministry or give to the poor or something of the sort. $5 a week. It may be the case that you just decide, uh, you know, one of your trips to McDonald's you're going to give up. Just give it up and take the money that you would have spent at McDonald's and now that's money you're going to give to the ministry or, or give to the poor or something like that. Just start by taking baby steps. Maybe this is uh, the year that God's going to tell you uh, just, you're going to quit smoking. And you take the money that you used to spend on cigarettes and polluting your lungs and now you're going to use it to feed people. What a nice trade-off that would be. You see, but you start with what God puts in front of you. You can't bite off everything at once, but you can do this, this much, and then later on God may lead you to do uh, take another step and then another step. Maybe you've never done it before, but because it's been a certain way doesn't mean you have to stay that way. No, keep growing, stay hungry, seek first the kingdom of God. And so maybe this is the time where you say, I'm going to take two hours a week and I'm going to uh, invest it in other people. I'm going to spend it at the public school teaching the kids how to read. We've got 60, 70 people who are doing that on a weekly basis. Or you say, I'm going to volunteer in the kids program or I'm going to give some time away. And you start with one or two hours. It may be that some of, the, some of our marriages, the normal of our marriage sucks. <laughs> and and yeah, that's been normal for you, but maybe it's time to change. So the Lord would say, and this is a kingdom thing. It's not always a you know, real spiritual kind of thing, although that's very spiritual. But no, it's a practical thing. Where you say, yeah, okay, I'm, we're going to spend an hour more together every week. Or we're going to go on a date at least once every two weeks. Or something like that, where you start moving your marriage in a more kingdom direction. It may be that you've always been the kind of person that's worked 60, 70 hours a week. Wherever there's money to be made, you're going to make the money. And you've done that because you're a responsible person, and that's not bad. But maybe now is the time to start growing in a different direction where the Lord would say, you know what, learn to get by with a little bit less and cut back to 40 hours a week so you can now have more time for what's really important, your family and your friends and the kingdom and things of that sort. It may be the case that some folks here have always had two cars, and it's just a convenient thing. But the Lord is saying, you know what, you can live without that convenience. And um, you cut down to one car. Maybe you give it away or maybe you sell it and you take the money that you sold it for and you invest it in some people who need food or you invest it in the church and ministry or, or something of the sort. The Lord may tell you to all of a sudden stop complaining that your closet's too full and empty your closet. <laughs> That's one solution. Uh, you know, you got too many shoes? Well, then you got too many shoes. <laughs> and once you give them away, you know, I, this is a good policy to have, okay? And by the way, I'm growing in this thing, okay? I don't think like, I've arrived. No, no, I, 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 I suck like this, this is you, just like you guys do, all right? So we're all in this together. <laughs> no, but I go through the closet. It's like, okay, if I haven't worn it in a year, I don't need it. And, but there's people who do. You know, we just accumulate stuff. Stop. Unload it. Just unload it. It feels so good to unload it. Uh, whatever it is, submit it to the Lord. And, and say, God, empower me to see how I can a little bit more swim upstream. I can a little bit more reflect your abnormal beauty, a little bit more manifest the kingdom of God. And my anticipation, I just feel like, like in terms of quality, which is the only thing we're talking about, we, we, we've grown some in the last three, four months. I pray that that continues in 2011. We grow. We keep getting different. Let's get a little bit weird. The year of the crazy. The year of the crazy. All right. Our prayer teams will come forward. I'm going to close in, in, in prayer that God will pour out a spirit of craziness on us. And uh, uh, our, uh, when we're done, if you want to come forward, pray about any need you have whatsoever. Our prayer teams are up here. would love to spend uh, some time pray, uh, praying with you. Don't leave with that burden on your heart. Father, pour out your spirit of, of beautiful crazy on us. God, free us from the uh, affliction of normality. Uh, free us, Lord God, from the death grip of normalization. Wake us up to the strategy of the enemy. 
that just calls us to blend in, to just follow the herd. It's always the easier way for our flesh, but Lord, give us the spirit of God and the strength to, to walk in a different way, to follow a different Lord, to belong to a different kingdom, to put on display a different kind of beauty that's, that's, that's not like anything else in this world, Lord God. We surrender ourselves to you. And then, Lord, give us the wisdom to know the baby steps we're to take. Or maybe some people it's going to be a radical step, but to start walking, to start walking in a kingdom direction. Open our eyes to the shoes we don't need and the pants that we really never wear, to maybe the car that we don't need, uh, the, the, the hamburger that we buy that we really don't need. Uh, the refrigerator that's maybe a little too full. Lord, just open our eyes to ways that we can better manifest, more beautifully manifest your outrageous kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the crazy people said, God bless you guys. See you next year.